Turn in your Bible to Ephesians, the fifth chapter. Ephesians chapter 5. And tonight I want to speak on the subject of spiritual formula for all the family. A spiritual formula for all the family. This has been Mother's Day all day long, and it is appropriate that we observe Mother's Day. I believe it was Anna Jarvis who first suggested the national observance of an annual day honoring all our mothers because she loved her own mother so much. At a memorial service for her mother on May the 10th, 1908, Miss Jarvis gave a carnation, her mother's favorite flower, to every lady who attended. Within the next few years, the idea of a day to honor mother gained popularity, and Mother's Day was observed in a large number of cities in the United States. On May the 9th, 1914, President Woodrow Wilson proclaimed the second Sunday in May as Mother's Day. He established the day as a time for public expression of our love and reverence for the mothers of our country. Of course, by then it had become customary to wear white carnations to honor departed mothers and red carnations to honor the living, a custom that continues to this day. And we want to express appreciation to Brother Johnny Deacons, who uh, took care of the carnations for today. And if there's anybody that did not get a carnation this morning, any lady, you're invited to get one tonight. These have been a blessed emblem today of our honoring motherhood and our ladies. Ephesians chapter 5, beginning with verse 18. Now, because of the limitation of time, I'm not going to read the entire passage, but I'm going to read highlights from these verses, beginning with verse 18 and going through the first part of chapter 6. Have your Bible open to Ephesians 5, beginning with verse 18, and then going through part of chapter 6. Let's bow together again in prayer. Our Father, we thank Thee for the privilege and honor of being in God's house tonight. We thank You for everybody who has come. We thank Thee again for our mothers and for every lady here in this place tonight. We have honored them today, rightly so. And we thank you for the gift to our world of mothers. Now tonight, may the Holy Spirit move in spiritual power and touch every one of our lives. May someone who has never been saved be convicted by thy spirit and drawn to Christ. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Ephesians chapter 5, beginning with verse 18. And be not drunk with wine, wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things unto God and the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting yourselves one to another, in the fear of the Lord. Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. 
Therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, so let the wife be to her own husband in everything. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it, that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word, that he might present it to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. That he might present it to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. So ought men to love their wives as their own body. Now look at verse, chapter 6, verse 1. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor thy father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise, that it may be well with thee, and thou mayest live long on the earth. And ye fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Now the rest of this chapter deals with how spirit-filled servants will react and how those who are in places of authority as masters or employers will react and so on. Beginning in chapter 5 verse 18, there's a whole thrust of Scripture that says when a Christian is filled with the Holy Spirit, here's, what you, here's the way you'll act. And incidentally, there's not anything mentioned here about ecstatic utterances or healings or tongues. But it says, be not drunk with wine wherein is excess, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. And then he says in verse 19, speak to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Now, ladies and gentlemen, if I read the scripture right, this says that when you're filled with the Holy Spirit, it will affect the kind of music you listen to. It will affect the kind of music you sing. And it will also give you a song in your soul. Why else would verse 19 be so close to verse 18? Because in a moment he's going to unravel the whole thrust of how a spirit-filled Christian lives. And the very first thing he says, it affects your music. It affects your singing. It affects a song in your soul. And God gives to the believer a special kind of song if you're filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, if you're filled with a worldly spirit, it'll be a different kind of song. If you're filled with the Hollywood spirit, it'll be a different kind of song. If you're filled with the spirit of the radio stations and the television stations, it'll be still a different song. If you're filled with the proms, it will be a different kind of song. But if you're filled with the Holy Spirit, you will sing with grace in your hearts, psalms, hymns, spiritual songs, making melody in your heart to the Lord. Secondly, verse 20, the Spirit-filled believer will be thankful, giving thanks always for all things unto God and the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. One of the great tragedies today is people are not thankful. Matter of fact, the Lord said this is one of the signs of the times of the end. People will be unthankful, haughty, filled with self, having a tough time ever saying 
thank you for anything. And we live in an age when children so often seldom say, thank you, mother, thank you, daddy. We take everything for granted. But the Spirit-filled Christian, the Spirit-filled Christian will have a thankful heart. There will be gratitude in his heart. He'll have something to say of thanks to people who are gracious and kind and people to whom we owe gratitude. One of the great sins today is ingratitude. How often do we go to one of these instrumentalists around here and say, thank you, Sandy, thank you, Retha, thank you, Bill, David, others for taking care of the technical controls, thank you. We just sort of take it all for granted. How often do you go to your preacher and say, thank you? How often do you go to your Sunday school teacher and say, thank you? How often do you go to daddy or mother and say, thank you? We just sort of take it all for granted. What a blessing it would be if we'd go up to someone who's been a blessing and say, I just want to thank you for being what you are. What a blessing you are to me. You say, well, that's not natural for me. Well, it must be because of some other reason, because the Bible says the Spirit-filled Christian will not find that difficult to do. The Spirit-filled Christian will have a thankful heart. There's one of the men in our church who hasn't been a member here a long time, but you have a tough time getting away on Sunday without his shaking hands with you. He just hunts you up and looks for you, and he just pumps and shakes you. How many of you knew who that is? Oh, I see a lot of hands know that. Because you're always shaking hands with somebody, always thrusting in. Now, God wants us to be thankful. God wants us to go across the congregation, across the place, and find somebody and express gratitude from our hearts. I appreciate the way the choir sang tonight, and the beauty of the choir, and the wonderful singing by Brother Sanford's daughter, and, the, and Brother Bob, and the quartet, and so on. Just great music tonight. And we need to be thankful. The Bible says a spirit-filled Christian will be, thank, will be filled with thanksgiving. And God wants to. Now thirdly, look at verse 21. Submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. Now this is an interesting verse. So often we look at the next verse that says, Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husband as unto the Lord. And we just sort of leave it there. But this says Christians have an obligation, a responsibility to submit ourselves one to the other because every one of us has an important role in life. And God doesn't want us to usurp the role of somebody else. You can't usurp the role of a grandfather. A grandfather has a specific, unique role. And his role is to be nice to his grandchildren and never has to discipline. He puts all the discipline over on mom and dad. And the grandparents can just love them to death and those children just love their grandparents because they never get disciplined by them. Well, grandchildren, grandparents are around to love and to uh, pass on to another generation all of the joy and the gratitude and uh, to earn the respect and to occupy a very important role in life. Now, wives are to submit themselves to their own husbands, but notice, husbands are also to submit themselves to their wives. Wait a minute. That isn't what the Bible says. Yes, it does. It says, submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of the Lord. A husband can never play the part of a wife. He can never be a mother. There are many things he can never do, and so he needs to submit himself to the role of that godly wife and let her be 
the woman and the queen and the godly one in that home. That's what the scripture says. Now, by the same token, a wife is to submit herself unto her own husband. And the children are to submit themselves to mother and daddy. Everybody has an important role. And in our day, we've sort of forgotten that. And we try to make the children our buddies. Now, it's very nice to have children that love you as a buddy. But if all the children's respect of you is that you're their buddy, you'll never have the spiritual control of them that God intended. Mom is here. Dad is here. The children are here. And they will be here until they become moms and dads on their own. And then they have that role, but they are still to honor mother and father. There never comes a day in a Christian's life when he is not to honor his mother and father. All through life, when your mother is 98 and your father is 110, you still owe them that honor and respect. And it begins when the little baby gets into the home. Mother, teach your little children to honor daddy. Don't speak against your husband to the children in your home. Elevate that man. If he is important enough to be the husband in your family, he is important enough for you to place on a pedestal and teach your children to honor him. Husbands, teach your children to honor their mother. Never should there be this playing one against another. And a child goes to mother and says, can I do such and such? She says, well, ask your daddy. And he goes, daddy, can I do such and such? Ask your mama. Mom and dad need to get together in advance. And the mother needs to know that daddy so well that he's not going to give permission. She's not going to give permission for something that she knows would violate that father's position and conviction. The same thing about a husband is to know his wife and the mother so well that he will never give permission for something that would be a violation of a mother's conviction. Now, when that's true, if a child comes and says, Daddy, can I do such and such a thing? And the daddy says, yes, you can. Then the mother ought to stand behind that husband. Or if the daughter, child goes to the, to the wife and says, can I do such and such a thing? And she says, yes, then the husband ought to stand behind the mother. Submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of the Lord. Because this is right. We're talking about a spirit-filled home and the instructions that are given in the Scripture. Now, when we prepare people for marriage, there are several things we talk about. There are four big things that will either help or hurt marriage. One is your family. Some of you in this room are getting ready to get married in the next few months weeks, days. Whether you like it or not, you're marrying each other's family. 
You can have in-laws if you want to and tell those old weird stories about my mother-in-law and my daddy-in-law and all that kind of thing. You can talk about that. Or you can have a mother in love and a father in love. And it all has to do with you. But when you marry, you are marrying each other's family. And this is one of the big, big things in marriage. I call these the four F's. In marriage, you are marrying each other's family. Secondly, your finances will be a big blessing or blight in your life. Now, it has nothing to do with the absence or the addition of money. It has to do with the honesty with which you handle that money. It has to do with the openness between husband and wife. Before you get married, it's my money and your money. After you get married, it's our money. A joint bank account. And a husband doesn't have a right to go out and spend separately so his wife doesn't know what he's doing. A wife doesn't have a right to go out and spend separately. They're together. And they have put their funds together. They are a business corporation. Now they need to decide who's going to handle the finances, who's going to write the checks, who's going to pay the bills. But the scripture teaches that husband and wife need to take care of their financial responsibilities together. And this can be a great blessing or a tremendous blight in lives. I had a couple come to me. You wouldn't know them if I told, told you it was years and years ago. But they were getting a divorce because they could not decide which one should write the checks. That's right. And they'd already gone to the lawyer. And they were at outs with each other. Hardly speak. And I pled with them and pled with them. Please, let's just get together for one meeting. Finally, they came, and I asked them each to tell the story. And they told the story from one standpoint and the other standpoint. And I'm not kidding you. As they told it, they couldn't help but laugh. It was so funny. And I laughed too. Now, I wasn't laughing at the misery they were going through, but, but, this, but it was so odd, so funny. The, the main reason they were going to dissolve their union is because they couldn't decide who would write the checks. And I said, well, why don't we just uh, take a vote on it right now? We'll have three votes. I'll vote with you. And let's just vote on it and settle it right now and get rid of the attorney. You won't have to pay the attorney. You can stay together. You won't believe what happened. They did it. and There's living happily ever after. Still together. Happy. People can get all messed up over nothing. It is important that our finances be understood in marriage. The third F is your familiarity, one with the other. What goes on in the bedroom of a home is nobody else's business. And when some, when some old boy has no more regard for his wife than to go out to the boys and talk about his wife, he needs to be cut down to size. And when some girl is so giddy and so immature that she goes out and talks to all of her girlfriends about what goes on in their bedroom, there's something wrong with her. God never intended that. Thou should confine thine intimacies to one another. And what goes on in the bedroom is between a husband and wife and God. And God never intended for some boy 
to try to make his wife jealous or hurt her by bringing up all the old boy girlfriends he used to have. Or some girl to bring up all the old boyfriends and compare. When you come to the marriage altar, you dismiss from your mind and your heart and your photograph album all those old girlfriends and boyfriends, get rid of them, and you're in a union for life. Thou shalt confine thine intimacies one to the other. The fourth F has to do with your faith. When these who are going to be married stand at their marriage altar in the next few days, they're going to be standing here by faith. Nobody knows what the future will be. But the covenant that is made says, I take thee to be my lawfully wedded wife or husband for better or for worse, for richer or for poorer, in sickness and in health, to love and to cherish until I find somebody I like better. No. Until God by death shall separate us. Now that's the covenant. And these four F's will either bless or break a marriage. Now I want us to notice tonight some very important principles. This will, this is a, a spiritual uh, these are spiritual principles that will either keep a couple together and bless the family or will divide them. Number one, I want you to notice the principles that defy a home going on the rocks. These two principles, or several principles, if you'll practice them, your home will not go on the rocks. Number one, Christians are to marry only Christians. I want you to turn your Bible to 2 Corinthians chapter 6. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, beginning with verse 14. Be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness? And what communion hath light with darkness? And what accord hath Christ with Belial? Or what part hath he that believeth with an infidel? And what agreement doth the temple of God with idols? For ye are the temple of the living God. As God hath said, I will dwell in them and walk in them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Wherefore, come out from among them, and be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you. Ladies and gentlemen, the Bible is clear that Christians should just marry Christians. Sometimes this comes to people and they say, I've never heard of such a thing as that before. Never heard of it before. Well, frankly, that's the fault of the pulpit. If you've never heard of it before, because it's in the Bible. The Word of God teaches that. Now, there are many people who marry who are not Christians. I do not believe that that is contingent upon them. Here's an unsaved person or an unsaved person. They don't know what the Bible says. 
And so sometimes God in his grace and graciousness and mercy allows them to come together with a plan in mind for what they will do in the years ahead and God guides their footsteps until they can hear the word of God and they both yield their hearts to Christ. We have examples of that right in this very church. Some who married before they were ever saved and they married unsaved partners and yet God guided their footsteps because the Bible says the footsteps of a good man are ordered by the Lord. But for a believer, a Bible-taught believer, to ignore the principle of the Word of God and to say, I don't care what the Bible says. I'm going to look for whoever I want to look for. And if I see some pretty dame over here, I'll just go with her if I want to. It'll make a difference what she believes. I've talked to a lot of Christian guys and I say to them, is, your, is, is, is the girl you're, gonna, you're interested in, is she saved? Oh, a preacher, I don't know whether she's saved or not. Never even ask her. I've talked to some Christian girls who I know loved God and at one time served Him. And I say, is that boy you're dating, is he saved? Well, I don't know whether he's saved or not. Now I want to tell you, you're heading for trouble when that happens. The Bible says that the basic principle is that a saved person marry a saved person. And when that is ignored, you're in for all kinds of problems. Now, God in His infinite grace sometimes takes care of that. And I'm sure there are examples in this room tonight of saved people who have married unsaved people and God worked it together for good. I'm just simply telling you what the Bible says as a principle. And the basic principle, and you're responsible for what you're hearing tonight. If you're saved, God says you should marry another saved person. Secondly, turn your Bible to John 16, 13. Christians should seek the direct leading of God about marriage plans. In John 16, verse 13, listen to this. Nevertheless, when He, the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of truth, has come, He will guide you into all truth. For He shall not speak of Himself, but whatever He shall hear, that shall He speak, and He will show you things to come. A Christian needs to seek the direct leading of God about marriage plans. Lord, is it Your will for me to marry this man, this woman? Is it your will for me to date this person? Frankly, I don't think a Christian ought to date somebody he couldn't marry. You never fall in love with somebody you don't go with for a little while. And there's a principle, a very important principle of the Scripture that says Christians should seek the divine guidance and leadership of the Lord. I've told you this story before. Two young men we've had in our church. I will not name them. But we had a young man that a number of years ago uh, got active. He was a student at Western University and our guys and girls visited him and prayed for him and talked with him and urged him and got him going for God. And finally he started coming to church. If I named his name, almost everybody here would know him. And he started serving the Lord and loving the Lord and living for the Lord. And finally, God called him to preach. But there was one very interesting thing about him. He didn't date. 
And a lot of the guys made fun of him. They talked about him. He lived with some of the other fellows here over in a house on, on the Chestnut Street. And at night, he would go to bed with his Bible in his hand. And he'd just hug his Bible to his bosom. And of course, that got out. Everybody was talking about there's so-and-so, and, so, and he, he sleeps with his Bible every night. And he doesn't date. He, he would say to them, I'm waiting for God to show me who to date because I'm not going to date somebody I couldn't marry. Well, one night at teen time, there was a beautiful young lady that came. I didn't know her, but she came. And a lot of times people would come to teen time, but I didn't know her. She was a very beautiful girl. And uh, this young man called me off the side and said, who is that girl? I said, I don't know, but I'll find out. He said, I want you to introduce me to her. So I went over and introduced myself to her, found out who she was and what her name was. And I said, uh, well, I want you to meet some of our kids. And so I took her around so it wouldn't be too obvious. And I introduced her to this guy and this guy and this guy and this girl and finally got around to this other guy. And uh, before long, I noticed they were out there talking in the hall. And the next Sunday night, she was back and he was too. And they were talking. And they were talking. I found out that this girl was a Methodist. Well, this young guy came to me all troubled. He said, uh, the girl that I'm interested in, I said, I want to marry her. He had known her three weeks. He said, I want to marry her. But she's a Methodist, and I could never marry somebody who wasn't a Baptist. So we prayed. Now listen, this isn't silly. We went in our study and prayed, got on our knees and prayed, Lord, if this is the girl, you touch her heart. She began to visit our services. It wasn't long until one Sunday night she came forward and she said, I've, I've been saved a good while, but she said, I haven't really been active for God. And, and she said, I believe God wants me to be a Baptist. And she became a member of this church. And uh, their relationship began to grow and grow and grow and grow and grow and grow and grow. And finally one day they stood at this wedding altar and we united them as husband and wife and they've been married happily ever since. And he is the pastor of a church, and she's his companion, and they're serving royally and faithfully. What am I saying? He asked God's direction about the one he was to marry. I want to tell you about another man that makes me cry tonight. There was a young man who was in our church. If ever there was anybody that had the confidence and love and respect of a lot of our people, this young man did. His, some of his family came to our church. And he would date various people. And one day he met a young lady that had, that had come to our church some. She was also a student. I did not know they were even going together. But after teen time, a lot of times we would go out to Jerry's and one Sunday night she, he came up to me at Jerry's restaurant and he said, I'm gonna marry such and such a girl. I want you to marry, me, marry us and I, here's the date. Well, I said, uh, we need to talk about this. So we met and, and had a conference about it. I said, have you prayed about this girl? Oh, she said, he said, she's a fine Christian and I'm gonna marry her. I said, have you prayed? Do you know much about her? Well, she's pretty and I want her. I'm gonna marry her. I said, I called his name. I said, I can't marry you. It would be a year before I could marry you to her. Well, he got very upset with me and moved his membership to another church and got married. They lived together about a year, a year and a half, and they got a divorce.
This young man had been called to preach. He's not serving God, and she's not serving God. Why? Because they didn't ask God's guidance. I want to tell you one of the principles of building a great, happy home is to seek the counsel and godly, godly counsel from godly men and to seek God's counsel from what God is trying to say. Now, there's another principle. Christians should have a genuine heart agreement. Turn in your Bible to Amos chapter 3, verse 3. Can two walk together except they be agreed? Can two walk together except they be agreed? There needs to be an agreement on ideals, agreement on values, agreement on friends, agreement on what is sin, what is black and what is white and what is gray. There needs to be an agreement in advance. And if you go into a marriage with no agreement, you're going to have disagreement in the marriage. I'm talking about God's people. Remember that much of what I'm saying, I'm talking to saved people. One of the principles, there must be an agreement. Can a Baptist and a Catholic agree? Can two people who come from widely different spiritual backgrounds without having some kind of a conversion experience that changes their way of thinking, can they agree? What they will agree to do is to put aside spiritual principles and thus join themselves together physically, and they'll never serve the Lord. I'm talking about saved people serving God. There's a principle involved. A believer with a non-believer, a separated Christian with one who is careless in his Christian life, Anybody that has been under the Word of God here and has heard what the Word of God says about the courts of carnal pleasure, you're responsible for this. You can throw it to the winds. You can say, I'm going to move my membership to a church where they don't talk about such things. Or you can take it as spiritual counsel and say, God, give me a girl or give me a guy that have some kind of spiritual agreement in these areas. And I guarantee you, your lives are going to be happier together. When you find, when you find somebody, let's think for a moment about the Hollywood standards. God's people are not to obey and abide by the Hollywood standards. They get those standards from hell, not from heaven. They do not get them from the Word of God. And when you start compromising spiritual convictions by entertaining yourself at the picture shows and on these midnight programs on television, and this is what you eat and you gobble up, and pretty soon your friends are gobbling this up, it will affect you spiritually. You may pretend like it doesn't, but it does. And you're going to have to deal with that. Can two walk together except they be agreed? What will happen is here's somebody, a beautiful Christian girl that has godly, godly spiritual convictions. 
and she goes with a guy that's saved but has no spiritual convictions, and she keeps on going with him, and after a while, what's going to happen? Is he going to come up here? No, if she goes with him, probably she's going to come down here. I appreciate what Walter Kay tells us about the girl he went with. He asked her to date him. Why she said, no, the only way I'd date you if you go to church. And he said, I'm not going to church. You're, you're passing a great opportunity to go with me, great football player. And she shocked the socks off of him by just passing him up. And it shocked him. And he began to go to church to hear what, and, and just to be with her. But God got into his heart. Listen, when you start compromising your convictions to go with somebody, you're not going to change them. They're going to change you. And in marriage, the one who has the highest convictions, that partner needs to come to those convictions. And if you don't, your whole home life is going to be built here instead of here. I'm not going to be very popular when I finish tonight. I may have to go out a back door. It's going to get worse. Suppose a husband wants a child and a wife doesn't want a child. This needs to be argued out and dealt with before marriage. You dare not go into the marriage thinking everything will work out. It won't. All of this needs to be determined and decided before marriage. Now, at the very best, sometimes plans do not follow through like you'd planned them, but there needs There is all kinds of spiritual problems. Christians need to accept the Bible standards for marriage. Turn back in your Bible to Ephesians chapter 5 a moment. Let's see what God says. We're living in a day when this is scrapped. Look at verse 22. Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husband as unto the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church and he is the Savior of the body. And you say, wait a minute, preacher. You read verse 21 that said, submitting yourselves one to another. And now you're saying the wife is to submit herself to her own husband. There are roles in marriage. And this word of God says that the husband's position in marriage is the leader. He's the head of the home. Doesn't mean he's the tyrant. Doesn't mean he's the big boss, but he's the head of the home. That's what the Bible says. And when the husband makes these decisions, the wife needs to permit those decisions to stand because he's the leader. Again, he's not the tyrant. He's not the big boss. He's not the dictator. But he's the leader. Any body that has two heads is a freak. And the home is a body. And if that home has two heads, the mother and the daddy, and they're both heads, there's some freakish problem in that home. The Bible says that the husband is the head of the home. And when women will permit their, wife, their husband to be the head, they'll, they'll have a scriptural marriage that God will bless. Well, look at verse 25. Husband, love your wife, 
It doesn't say you necessarily have to understand your wife. It just says love her. That's what it says if I read it right. Husband, love your wife, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. The word for love there is agape, agapao. Love your wife. It doesn't say just eros, your wife, or phileo, your wife, but love her, agape. Have agape love for her. Now, obviously, there cannot be a permanent marriage if there is no eros that draws you together physically and no phileo in which you enjoy doing things together. But if that's all you have, you will be like the bridge that is built out of wood and concrete. It might hold a little foreign-made car going across it, but when those big 18-wheelers come, it'll crumble. And a marriage that is built on eros and phileo only, physical love, physical infatuation, you enjoy doing things together, but that's all you have. That marriage will stand up for a little while, but when the big 18-wheelers roll in, it's going to start crumbling. Unless it has a steel superstructure made out of agape, God's kind of love. And the Bible says, husband, that's your deal. That's your responsibility. Now, it does say in Titus that the wife is to love her husband. But in this passage, it doesn't even say that. It says the husband is to love his wife. The responsibility is for the husband to reach out and find a girl that you can have agape for in addition to eros and philo. philo and you have agape love. And you reach out and love that person the way Jesus would love. Love overlooks a lot of mistakes. Perfect love casts out fear. And love covers a multitude of sins. And a marriage will stay together when a husband loves his wife. And in addition to that, he will awaken in her that which will return to him the greatest love he could ever have. That's what the Bible says. And then it says, children... Obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. There's a role for, parent, for mother. There's a role for daddy. There's a role for children. And children are not to sass and talk back to their parents at any age. Now, frankly, there are some things, because of the very nature of things, that need to be winked at a little bit. Now, you say, preacher, you're going a little bit extreme here. No. If I corrected everybody that did anything in the service that they shouldn't do, I'd be jumping on this guy and this guy. All through the service, you wouldn't get anything out of it. Because I see a lot, see. There are a lot of things you just have to wink at. If it doesn't go on, it doesn't continue. One little note, one little, somebody little speaking to somebody once in a while. I understand that. I don't think it should, you should do it, but I understand that. But when it keeps on and keeps on and keeps on, there, there needs to be attention drawn to it. Now, children... Fathers, provoke not your children to wrath. God never intended for fathers to addle their children all the time, or their mother to addle their children all the time, constantly digging at them and uh, squeezing them into a, some kind of a mold. You need to let your children grow up a little bit. At the same time, they need to honor mother and daddy. And frankly, they will honor mother and daddy if daddy honors mother and mother honors daddy. I know in our home, we didn't always agree with my dad and mother. 
they, they, would, they had a strange custom. It was my dad's custom. He got a rocking chair in our home when we were all little. I don't even remember when we got it, but we always had a rocking chair. And mother, uh, dad would say, Mother, you go sit in that rocking chair while the kids do the dishes. My mother never did the dishes. As long as we were at home, sons and daughters, two brothers, two, three sons and two sisters. And we did the dishes. Now we'd get in there and have a time of it. You, can you imagine five kids in there do, trying to do the dishes? One would wash, one would dry, one would throw them to the other to put away. And a lot of times we dropped those dishes. And of course we heard about that. But we honored our mother and our daddy. I wasn't particularly a close, uh, my dad was not a buddy to his children. We honored him. We revere his memory, but he wasn't a buddy. He was a figure of authority. And when he said something, you did it. If you didn't, you heard from it in no uncertain terms. And if there was ever a time when mother said that a certain thing needed to be done, dad, whether he agreed with it or not, said you have to do it. He never, I don't remember his ever contradicting mother in some position she took, even though he wasn't a Christian for long years in our early life. If we got a whipping at school, I can't imagine dad ever going on, going cussing the teachers out and fussing at them and saying, you, my little boy would never do anything like that. Why, you know what you're doing, you mean, 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 mean thing. No, if we got a whipping at school, we got a whipping at home. My parents stood with the teachers. We live in a different age. Why, it's e even in our anchored Christian school, sometimes we take certain disciplinary measures and parents get mad at the teachers, get mad at the school, get mad at the principal, get mad at the pastor because we have taken a stand and those parents do not honor that stand. I want to tell you, ladies and gentlemen, that's wrong and that's a good way to make your kids rebellious and hate the school and hate the church and dislike their pastor. And if they end up like that, it is not the preacher or the principal or the teacher's fault, it's your fault. Because you let that happen. That's wrong. There are certain roles and role models that need to be obeyed in the work of the Lord. Turn your Bible to 1 Peter 3, 7. 1 Peter 3, 7. Look at what God says here. In like manner, ye husbands, dwell with them according to knowledge, giving honor unto the wife as unto the weaker vessel, and as being heirs together of the grace of life, that your prayers be not hindered. Husbands have an important role and responsibility to dwell with their wife, recognizing that she is on a pedestal. When it says weaker vessel, that doesn't mean that she's morally weak may not even mean that she's physically weak. I've seen some women able to do a whole lot. But it means in the relationship, the husband is to be a tower of strength and he's to dwell with his wife, honoring her, putting her on a pedestal. Women, don't step off that pedestal. Don't step off that pedestal. I've never seen my mother in shorts. I've never seen her in pants. Now, I know she's 94, 93, but I've seen some of these old hussies in pants and 
running around. They look like it. I've seen some of them in shorts. I will tell you, the wife is on a pedestal. The woman is on a pedestal. Mothers stay there. We were in Washington recently. We saw Abraham Lincoln on a pedestal in the Lincoln Memorial. Everything I know about Lincoln would put him on a pedestal. I don't know that I've ever read anything that ever caused him, that would make him in my mind step off that pedestal and be mundane and defile himself and so on. He was always somebody. I appreciate it. You may not agree with the Reagans on some things. I don't know. I, I like Mr. Reagan. I think he's the greatest president we've had in a long time. But one of the things that I appreciate about what they've done there is that when she came into office as the first lady, she said, we're going to wear dresses. Amen. The people that work in the White House are going to wear dresses. Isn't that interesting? Amen. She didn't do it for a spiritual reason. She just did it and said, we are ladies and we're going to look like ladies. Now, you won't like what I'm saying. I love you anyway. You know, some of you are already beginning to pout. Harold, <laughs> lock the door so they can't get out. <laughs> Well, uh, you know, ladies, stay on a pedestal. Don't come off with your dress and with your uh, climbing telephone posts. I, on, the, on the telephone the other day, I was trying to, in Washington, I was trying to reach somebody and I, I buzzed information and this, this voice came and said, number please. And I went out on, the, uh, out on the streets of Washington and saw this woman climbing this post. And women running fire stations. You'd never elect me to the city commission. <laughs> They'd fire me before I got on there very long. <laughs> women, stay on your pedestal. The ERA philosophy is not biblical, it is not scriptural, it is not honoring to woman or man or the Bible or children or heaven or earth. God made women holy. Something unusual, something precious, something beautiful. And when you step off of that to get down here and be like a man, the world will treat you like that. And one of the reasons we don't have a lot of respect for mothers and women today is because women, womanhood has stepped off the pedestal and has been down here mundane like the world. I don't believe God's people ought to do that. Look in Genesis 3.16 a moment, please. Turn your Bible to Genesis 3.16. Unto the woman he said, I will greatly multiply thy sorrow and thy conception. In sorrow thou shalt bring forth children, and thy desire shall be to thy husband, and he shall rule over thee. That doesn't make women any less important than men. Women are here, men are here. Men are to dwell with their wife as the weaker vessel, one that receives honor, more honor. She's more fragile. And women, 
God said, you have one of the most beautiful, important relationships and responsibilities in the whole wide world. Your desire is to be toward your husband. And God is going to use you to bring new life into the world. A man can never do that. And I want to go on record. You may not understand it, you may not agree with me, but I believe these sex changes are not scriptural. I don't believe it was right for God to bring a girl into the world and she decides she wants to be a boy. Or to bring a man into the world and that man says, I want to be a girl. Either in psychic, in dress, or in sex change. God had an important role for each one. I don't know whether you're going to stay with me much longer. I'm just about halfway through what I want to preach tonight. Marriage is for better or for worse. It is not a brief experiment. Well, suppose the husband becomes a drunkard. You stand here and say, for better or for worse. Or else we need to rewrite the marriage vows and say, I will be true to you as long as you don't drink and you don't cuss and you don't swear. Now, first of all, I want to tell you, guy get to know the girl pretty well. Girl get to know the guy pretty well. Be sure you're walking in the will of the Lord. But you've done your best to know your wife or your husband. Then when they, when you marry, God says it's for better or for worse. For richer, for poorer in sickness and in health, to love and to cherish until God by death shall separate you. Keep your vows. Be true to what the vows are that you give to the other at marriage. Suppose there's poverty. Now I think a husband ought to work. The Bible says if you don't work, you don't eat. The awful really apply that today, isn't it, wouldn't it? Might get us out of our awful deficit. But when you marry, you're going to stand behind that, beside that husband if he has financial tough times. Not badger him all the time. You're only making $100 a week. We, need you, we, have, we have to have $300 a week to live on. What you doing? Get out and get a better job. And on and on and on. Stand by them. I like what Brother Joe said this morning when he said certain things to his wife. And he made some mistakes financially. His wife said, it's okay, honey. God will see us through. Wife, don't badger your husband. Husband, don't badger your wife. Dwell together in love. I'm going to have to ask you to come back next Sunday for the rest of the sermon because I'll never get through tonight. Let me just uh, close it by saying there are some enemies Severe enemies that would tear the home apart. A playboy philosophy. And a playboy philosophy starts in the heart when you have those desires and you allow those desires to run rampant and you get those magazines and you start reading them. Or you start tuning into the soap operas and you find that this guy 
has two or three other girls on the string and they come into court and they're always at courts trying to divorce each other and all that and then they've got somebody else they're marrying or, or some woman is about to have a baby and they don't know who the, the father of it is and so on and you just sit there and look at it and look at it and look at it and look at it and you can't stand to miss it. You know, I'm not for these Iran court hearings that are being put on television but I am amazed that all across America there's an uprising among the women who are calling the stations and saying, we want the soap operas back. We don't want all that mess from Washington. Well, I agree with not wanting the mess from Washington, but uh, the soap operas are for the birds. And when you glue yourself to that, you're asking for some unholy things in your life. The ERA philosophy, the gay rights philosophy, the breakdown in communications, and on and on. There are enemies of the Christian home that will hurt you. I have about two hours more of stuff to say to you tonight, but I want to close it by saying that the only way, the real spiritual formula for a home to be happy is for Jesus to be the center of that home. When a married couple stands at the altar, by faith, they're accepting each other as what they are. They already need to know each other. They know to know each other pretty well. But then, by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, they need to say, Lord, I'm taking this as my lifetime partner and we're going to serve God together. Build your home on the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, if you're here and you're not saved, you can't do that. The only way you can build your home on Jesus is to receive Him into your heart. To as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. Jesus died on the cross for our sins. He who knew no sin became sin for us. And when we accept his pardon, receive him as our Lord, then life takes on new meaning. God will bless. Let's stand and have prayer together, please. Our Father, we thank Thee for the truths of the Word of God. We pray that each one here tonight will weigh carefully what, what the Word of God has said. If there's been anything injected that was not biblical and scriptural, I pray that You would give us discernment about that. And may the Holy Spirit draw our attention to the important spiritual formula that will make a home stay together all through life's little while. God bless and strengthen. And we pray that somebody who is here tonight who is not saved will come to know Jesus as personal Savior. In Christ's name, amen. Now we're going to sing tonight page what? 394. 394. 394. Let me encourage us all to turn to that song. And God's invitation is simply this. Nothing that has been said tonight may have applied to you individually. You may not feel the burden for any of these things that we've spoken of. I felt like God wanted me to deliver my soul. Some of what I preached tonight was going to be preached this morning. A lot more that I was going to be preached tonight will have to be preached next time. But God told me to give you this. Now we're responsible for what we've heard. If none of these things has applied to you, but God has spoken to you in some other area. 
either to recommit your life to Christ or to say, I need to get something settled. I need to surrender some area of my life that has not been surrendered. Or I need to be saved. I need to come to Christ. Some commitment that ought to be made on your part. Will you do it while we begin to sing, I surrender all. Will you step out for the King, Christ Jesus? God help you to do it.